Welcome to Choate's Enforcement and Investigations Updates, a podcast series hosted by our Government Enforcement and Compliance Group. On this show, we discuss timely analysis of legal and compliance developments, court decisions, and changes in legislation and regulations. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Diana Lloyd. I'm co-chair of Choate's Government Enforcement and Compliance Practice Group. With me today is Rebecca Wilsker, a principal in Choate's Private Equity Group. Rebecca and I thought it was time for us to record another podcast discussing the Paycheck Protection Program under the CARES Act. As a brief reminder, the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, was established through the CARES Act in March 2020 and was designed to provide low interest and in some cases, forgivable loans. The purpose was to help small businesses cover payroll and other business costs in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Rebecca, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Do you wanna take a couple of minutes to describe new developments that you are following on behalf of clients? Hi, Diana, I'm so glad we could get together to do this. Yes, absolutely. So right now we're really in two simultaneous phases of the program. In addition to the program rolled out last year, there's been new PPP legislation with the most recent round of stimulus. For companies participating in this round, they're back to the beginning, basically. They're applying for fresh loans. The rules for these PPP loans are mostly the same, but they're only available to borrowers who got and used a first round loan, who have 300 or fewer employees, and who experienced at least a 25% drop in revenues in one quarter of 2020, compared to the same quarter in 2019. The loans are capped at $2 million, and I suspect the SBA is going to be at least somewhat more stringent about handing these out because they're really supposed to go to the hardest hit companies. Companies that got loans in spring and summer of 2020 are in a very different phase of the program, and we're up to the point where they're applying for, and in a lot of cases, receiving forgiveness on those loans. As you mentioned, the PPP loans can be forgiven, and that's generally if borrowers use the funds for certain limited purposes, mostly payroll. Once the funds from the loan are used, borrowers need their lenders and the SBA to approve the forgiveness. For companies with loans under $2 million, this has been a pretty straightforward process in most cases. However, the SBA announced last year that it would apply increased scrutiny to loans over $2 million, and we've seen that come to fruition in the last couple of months. In addition to the normal forgiveness application, companies with larger loans are being asked to fill out detailed questionnaires about how their business has been run through 2020, including questions about liquidity, distributions to shareholders, and some other key events. We don't yet have a clear view of how the SBA is going to use the information in these questionnaires, but we've seen some concern among borrowers because the information being requested really goes beyond what the program rules require borrowers to show in order to qualify for the loans. Diana, how are you seeing things play out on the enforcement side now that more companies are applying for loan forgiveness? We've heard a lot about how the government is devoting resources to enforcement in connection with the PPP program. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means for borrowers? It is true that the government has made clear that enforcement of COVID-related fraud is a priority. The government's enforcement efforts can take several different forms, and there is now a new and special inspector general for pandemic recovery that is working with some U.S. attorney's offices. And in conjunction with those U.S. attorney's offices, it provides oversight and investigation in connection with CARES Act matters. The government can use criminal tools such as prosecutions for fraud, which can carry significant penalties, including jail time and fines. But there are also civil remedies under the False Claims Act and other statutes like FIREA. Ever since PPP loans were given out, the government has acted aggressively to bring prosecutions in cases of egregious fraud 
And more than 50 defendants have now been charged criminally with PPP-related fraud. Yeah, I remember a few months ago, there were a number of news stories about people applying for loans with fake companies. Yeah, that's right. So far, these cases have tended to involve clearly fraudulent conduct, such as loan applications that were made for non-existent businesses or use of loan proceeds to buy expensive jewelry or cars. And earlier this month, the first Civil False Claims Act settlement was announced in California. It's worth providing a bit of background on this settlement just to give you an idea of the kind of case that the government has seen worthy of pursuing from a civil standpoint. The company involved, called Slidebelts, was a debtor in a bankruptcy proceeding. Slidebelts submitted multiple PPP loan applications for between $300,000 and $350,000. On these applications, signed by its CEO, Slidebelt stated falsely that it was not presently involved in any bankruptcy. Even though one of the financial institutions pointed out to the CEO that Slidebelts was not eligible for the loan because it was in bankruptcy, the company still kept trying to get a loan from other institutions. The company did succeed in getting a $350,000 loan, but ultimately the company had to pay the loan back. In addition, the company and its CEO personally also had to pay a total of $100,000 in damages and penalties. And that's on top of whatever attorney's fees they had to spend. So these misrepresentations proved quite costly to a company already in bankruptcy. I can see how the government would want to go after these sorts of entities and individuals that have clearly engaged in fraud, especially where their lending institutions told them they probably weren't eligible for the loan. But one of the concerns we've had is how to advise very well-intentioned clients who want to do the right thing, but are unsure of how to proceed because the rules seem to keep shifting. For example, while there are some clear-cut certifications that borrowers have to make, like the one you just mentioned confirming the company is not in bankruptcy, others are less clear. One we've seen a lot of businesses focus on is the certification in the PPP application that there's a financial need for the loan. We're now 10 months into the program, and the SBA has never given clear guidance on what constitutes appropriate need. The questionnaire I mentioned a few minutes ago seems to muddy the waters on that even more. Do you have any general thoughts about how enforcement efforts are likely to proceed in this shifting landscape? That's a great question. I have a few thoughts, both based on what I'm hearing from prosecutors and along with the fact that there are so many PPP loans that the government will have to prioritize which cases to pursue seriously. First, the SBA, the Small Business Administration, has already announced that loans over $2 million will be audited. And I think there will be greater scrutiny of businesses that have taken out loans on the higher end. Some loans are as large as $10 million. And although there will be audits of loans, there will still need to be referrals to prosecuting authorities if there's a sense that criminal or false claims act enforcement is warranted. So I do think we are likely to continue to see the more egregious cases singled out for prosecution. On the other hand, as the recent slide belt settlement demonstrates, prosecutors will scrutinize smaller loans as well when they believe companies made knowingly false statements. In slide belts, the statements stood out as being obviously false. So in a way, this case was really low hanging fruit. I should note that the settlement agreement involving slide belts does not release slide belts or its CEO from criminal liability. So we don't know whether this is the end of the story on this matter. However, from a big picture standpoint, more than 5 million PPP loans have been approved. So the government can't possibly investigate all of them. What I am hearing from prosecutors is what you'd expect, that the government is really looking for cases of outright fraud, not mistakes or misunderstandings regarding various aspects of the PPP loan. It is likely that prosecutions will follow the typical enforcement path 
which is that the SBA is likely to review the loan files in the first instance, then refer only the most egregious cases to the prosecutors. Have you seen anything yet that sheds light on the questionnaires for loans over $2 million? Clients are asking a lot of questions about how to fill those out, particularly since many of the questions ask about what happened after the loan application was submitted and don't tie to the PPP loan eligibility requirements or the forgiveness guidelines. You're absolutely right that there is a concerning disconnect between the stated purpose of the form and the questions that borrowers are required to answer. The stated purpose is that the SBA wants to confirm that the loan was quote unquote necessary to the borrower due to the economic uncertainty surrounding COVID. However, many of the questions focus on how the business performed after the necessity certification was made. This is troubling because at the time of many of these initial applications, March and April of 2020, no one could predict what would happen with the economy or particular businesses in light of COVID, and many businesses indeed did better than they had anticipated. In fact, at least one lawsuit has been filed challenging the validity of this questionnaire for that very reason. However, there has been no ruling in that lawsuit, so in the meantime, companies will need to fill out these forms. From a big picture standpoint, the key is to ensure that the forms are filled out accurately because an intentionally false statement on this form could be charged as a federal felony. In addition, there are a couple of text boxes in the form that can be used to fill in the business's rationale for believing that the economic uncertainty surrounding COVID made it necessary to apply for the loan. Yes, I think those text fields will be a good place for companies to include information that will help the SBA understand their thinking. Of course, when we're talking with clients, we are always reminding them that they should be careful to be truthful and accurate when describing their company's situation. From an enforcement standpoint, are there other specific steps or compliance measures that you would recommend companies consider adopting? Uh, yes, I do have a few general thoughts. First, uh, you mentioned that it's now possible for companies to take out a second PPP loan. If they do so, it is very important to ensure that factual statements are accurate and consistent with statements that were made in the first application. Following up on that, and as I think we've both already noted, the importance of truthfulness and accuracy cannot be overstated. Some of the questions on the application forms are quite straightforward and knowingly false answers can subject the borrower to civil or criminal penalties or both. It's also critically important that companies that applied for PPP loans maintain records regarding the necessity of the loan and also the ways in which loan proceeds were spent. There are a few very practical reasons for that. First, because of the volume of these loans, it may be that a significant amount of time elapses before the government reviews the loans. Personnel at a company may shift, memories may fade, and it may be very difficult to reconstruct the thought process in connection with the loan application if you have to do that years down the road. Finally, companies could save significant costs later on by ensuring that all this documentation is maintained now in an organized fashion when it's fresh in everyone's mind. That all makes a lot of sense. I expect we'll continue to see the PPP rules and guidance evolve, so I agree having a clear record will be important for a lot of these companies. Diana, let's keep checking in as the program moves along. I'll be interested to hear how some of these cases turn out, especially with a new administration in Washington, and hopefully a light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of these businesses now that the vaccine rollout has begun. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining me to discuss the latest Paycheck Protection Program developments. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. For more information about Choate's government enforcement and compliance and private equity groups, please visit www.choate.com. 
You can listen to more episodes on this topic and other podcasts in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.